Bibles to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. We want to continue teaching on the will of God. The will of God. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The will of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we're grateful for another evening to be able to look into the word of God for a few moments. Lord, let this word be a mirror that reveals every blemish and spot in our own lives. But Lord, let this message, let this teaching edify us. Let it bring forth fruitfulness in our Christian life. We don't want to be blind and barren. but We do want to bring forth and manifest the fruits of the spirit as you've given them in the word of the Lord. So we ask you, God, give us ears to hear. Help me to speak with clarity. Let the cross of Christ be revealed and let the blood of Jesus be loved by each and every one of us. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we looked into the word of God last time in talking about the will of God, we told you that the will of God from Romans chapter 12 is something that is manifested to us and that God does not want us to live in the dark. He wants you to know what his mind, his desires, and his wishes are. And that's the point of reading the scripture. We then looked at how it says in Thessalonians, it's the will of God for you to abstain from fornication. We talked about how as a believer, even though the culture has a message that's totally different from what Paul says, that in the marital covenant, God wants us to stay away from fornication outside of the covenant. And when we're single, God certainly wants us to preserve ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit, that being the will of God. Well, this evening, what I want us to notice as we look at this letter of Peter is that verse 2 speaks about grace and peace and its multiplication. Now, grace is divine favor. We know that. Sometimes we call it unmerited favor, undeserved blessing that comes to us. We, we, we use that to define grace. And peace, of course, is that ease and rest that we have in the midst of trials and tests and tribulations. According to Peter, then, in verse 2, grace and peace is multiplied through What's the next two words? The knowledge, the knowledge of God. So that that tells me that what you know about God has everything to do with the kinds of activity that God's going to do in your life. A lack of knowledge is certainly a problem. Hosea said that. He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So if grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God, then what we need to do is multiply the knowledge of God that we have. We need, in, we need to increase what we know about God. The people who know their God, Daniel said, would be strong and do exploits. If you know a lot about God, you'll have confidence in God. You'll be at ease when you pass through certain situations. If you only have a small knowledge of God, 
then you're going to be distressed by every little trouble that comes your way because you're not quite sure whether or not it is God's will to aid you or to help you. Now, to give you some some illustrations of how knowledge is important and how this certainly functions, think of the, the little child that's afraid when, when they're when they're small and they, they're afraid of the dark and they don't want to sleep alone. And, and, and mom and dad or somebody tries to, to tell them, look, we're just a few steps away. We're just on the other side of the wall. Everything will be okay. Now, it's, it's the knowledge of that in the minds of some kids that helps the child remain in that bed at night because they know mom is just a scream away. Dad is just a few short steps away. But that, that's based on relationship. They trust what mom said. They trust what dad says. But there are some trials that will come to a kid in the middle of the night, like a bad dream, that they'll jump out of bed as fast as they can, then footsteps all across the floor, then all of a sudden it goes quiet because the kid is airborne and diving right into the bed with you. But they're diving in the bed with you because of the knowledge they have through the relationship. Well, if we're going to know God and we're going to enjoy his blessings, we have to become acquainted with her. And there are a lot of people been in church many years, many decades, and they are acquainted with many things, but they're not acquainted with God. This is the book that teaches you about God. This is the book that reveals the will of God. If you want to get to know what God thinks about anything, study the book. Study the book. If, if, if you think about it this way, my wife and I, we've been married long enough now, going on 19 years, where you could pretty much ask her what I think about nearly anything. And she probably could tell you what I believe. And if you ask me about what she believes, I could tell you the same thing. Now that's because of relationship. But if someone were to ask you, what does God think about this issue? What does God think about that issue? And yet you've been in and around church for a long time and don't have an answer. Then the question we have to ask is how acquainted with God are you? How much time do you spend reading, reading the word? When Tiffany and I were, were dating, or we, we don't like to say dating, fellowshipping. There we are. Yes, let's be spiritual. Before we got married, when, when, Tiffany, <laughs> when Tiffany and I were fellowshipping, and we were fellowshipping friends. We were down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and she had graduated from high school down there. Jimmy Swaggart's uh, private school there at their church and all that. Then she went off to ORU and came back. She was home. And whenever we had a little bit of time together, when I wasn't traveling, when she wasn't at the university, Swaggart has this big, huge campus down there, thousands and thousands of acres and there are a lot of trails back there behind those buildings where the students and people like to take and walk. And they've got it all pretty back there where you can stroll along. And so, of course, Tiffany and I, we'd be walking back there. And, you know, she's, she's real excitable. So she, I'd be next to her. and She wants to reach out and hold my hand and all that kind of a thing. And so we, we're walking and we're just talking. I'm telling her about my calling in the ministry and all of that. And she's telling me she doesn't want to be a preacher's wife and a pastor's <laughs> wife. All that kind of a thing. Well, what are we doing? We're getting acquainted. We're spending time with one another. And this is, this is how it has to be with God. People who know God are confident when they talk about God. Well, if you ask my mom how to make cake from scratch, 
she can tell you. She's been doing it a very long time. She knows exactly what she's doing. And there are some gentlemen, if you ask them how to fix gaskets on a car engine, oh, just heartbeat, they'll tell exactly what you need to do. But then if you ask somebody about Scripture, then you find out many times people aren't acquainted with it. Now, this is Nebraska. This is Husker Nation. I've sat with families where the kids are like nine and ten years of age, and they can tell me who was the starting lineup for the football team back in the 80s. They can tell you who the center was, who the offensive lineman was on either side. They can go through all of that. And then I usually just burst the bubble when I say something like, could you tell me a little bit about Obadiah? See? See? People don't know. Well, well, here's here's what what I'm getting at, though. We choose the issues with which we want to be acquainted. And we become so familiar with it, it's almost like we're experts on it. We talk confidently about it. But could you talk confidently about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Could you talk confidently about... This book being the inspired word of God. Could you explain to somebody the way of salvation with such simplicity that there would be no way they could misunderstand what you're saying? That's what I'm talking about. Reading, reading the scripture. So verse two says grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God. If you multiply your knowledge, you multiply the grace and peace that's active in your life. Verse three. It speaks of this divine power that has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now, Scripture will not tell you how to drive from here to Lincoln. And Scripture is not going to tell you how to repair a combine. But Scripture will tell you how to conduct yourself in your character when you're working on a combine. It will tell you how to conduct yourself every day on your job because it gives you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. Godliness has to do with displaying the characteristics of God. If we say that we're Christian, people understand us to mean we're like Christ. They they don't think we're God's son in the sense that we're perfect or or some kind of, you know, all God, all man, that kind of a thing. But they do believe that we're, we're Christian in our behavior and in the way we talk and the way we act. And the Bible says God's divine power has made that possible to us. And then you can see again in verse 3, through the knowledge of him that hath called us. The more you know about God, the better available to you are all of these promises and blessings that can be at work inside of you. These things relate to your spiritual life, your natural life, and, of course, to how godly you are. Because if you don't know the Ten Commandments, then you don't even know if you're breaking them. Yeah, how can you be godly if you're unsure of what godliness is? If you're not sure of what godliness is, it's going to be very difficult to understand what is ungodly. So the scripture, James says, is like a mirror that reveals blemishes. You know, a little kid, a teenager looks into the mirror and then they all of a sudden start seeing them little bumps popping up on their face and they get all nervous about that. That is what the scripture is supposed to do with us because we think we're perfect. We think we're fine and we don't have a problem at all. But the more we look into the word of God, we realize I've got a problem here. 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 And it's, it's the revelation of God's word that brings about change. 
Remember this principle here. There can be no growth in any Christian life apart from conviction. Zero. Because if you don't experience conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, that means there's nothing wrong with you. And if you're perfect, then, I mean, you, you could have went to Calvary and died for me just like Jesus did. But as long as there's conviction in your life and God puts his finger on something and says, uh, right here in the, this little crevice here, you've been hiding that. When you, you deal with that. When you deal with that, then that's growth. That's growth. When God puts his finger on your speech and he says, I'm displeased with that language. When he says, I'm displeased with that attitude. When he puts his finger on something and says, I'm displeased with the way you're handling this with the kids. I'm displeased with the way you're interacting with your spouse. I'm displeased with how you're acting on the job. When he talks to you like that, then you have to be responsive to that because he is speaking to you about things that pertain to life and to godliness. Well, let's let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Second Timothy. Back up a few books. Second Timothy. Now, we are talking about the will of God. And I want us to know God's will. Because we don't want to be lost. Second Timothy three. Verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiver, deceiving and being deceived, but continue in the things you have learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them, that from a child you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So let me tell you a story, because we're talking about the will of God. Tiffany and I, when we were yet in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, before we came up here, there was an evangelistic crusade in New Orleans, so Tiffany and I went to it. Well, this arena where this thing was being held, it, it had to be, I don't know, anywhere from 10, 15, 20,000 people. They're just a lot of folks when you get together at a big meeting like this. So we parked the car, got out, made our way into the arena, enjoyed the service, the worship and everything. So coming out, it dawned on me as we were walking out, because you got this big mass of people, so you just one head in front of the other, everybody just following each other like a, like a herd of people. It dawned on me as we were walking out the exit, all the exits look alike. Yeah. And it was starting to rain. Well, a man doesn't want to look like he's lost, but it was quite evident inside of three minutes I was lost. I didn't look to see if there was a letter on a pole to tell me where the car was at. I walked out there and saw thousands of vehicles and people walking to their cars and it's rainy, and it's coming down, and my poor little baby, her, her hair's getting wet. I'm in, I'm in a suit. I've got nice clothes on. Within 10 to 15 minutes, my shoes were soaking wet. We were out there so long, after about 30 minutes, Tiffany got hysterical and just started laughing. She couldn't stop. She just laughed and laughed and laughed, and, and would you believe 
by the time we finally found our car on the other side, after walking outside, we were the last car in the parking lot. Folks, I'm telling you, it's a terrible thing to be disoriented and to be confused about where it is that, that you need to be. Well, consider, consider how many people there are in this world don't know where they're going and don't know the text of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely lost. They know that they're lost in some cases, but there's too much pride to ask for help. See? That's all it is. Well, verse 12 in 2 Timothy 3 tells us, if you're going to live godly, we ran into that word in 2 Peter, if you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. You don't even have to pray for it. It's coming. It's an automatic thing because light and darkness don't mix. Oil and water don't mix. The scripture says in verse 13, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Well, that, that tells us that in the generation that we are a part of presently, that it's a progressive thing. Men don't always get better. Technology advances. But that doesn't necessarily the heart, mean the heart of man gets better. The scripture says the heart of man is, is exceedingly deceitful. Yeah. There are things in you that you don't even know are in there that could be unleashed in the right temptation or the right trial. I bet you David never knew that he was an adulterer until he saw Bathsheba and he ended up in that situation. He never knew it was in there until something like Bathsheba brought it out. And, and for a lot of us, we, we, we have the tendency to believe, but well, that could never happen to me. Oh, you be careful. Be careful. I know a story of a, of a, of a preacher one time who married and uh, having an affair with a woman, and the woman's husband came home at lunchtime, found the preacher in bed with his wife, and the man said, I'll kill him, and he went for his gun, and the man, the preacher, jumped out of bed, ran out of the house naked, hiding behind a fence. The wife, who was in bed with the preacher, had to call the police and ask the police to come to settle her husband down because he said he was going to kill him, and he was holding the man's clothes so the preacher couldn't even leave the fence post. Okay? Now, if somebody would have told him several years before, you're probably going to end up in bed with a lady there in your church. He probably would have said, you've got to be out of your mind. I'm a holy man of God. Okay. Folks, don't ever forget that when it comes to this Christianity thing, all of us in here have clay feet. Clay feet. You're as human as the person that's next to you. And when it comes to Scripture... And it says evil men will wax worse and worse and, and people will deceive and, and, and be deceived. It is very serious business because anybody can have their mind distorted just like that. Just totally distorted. And then, of course, verse 14 tells you to continue in what you have, what you have learned and been assured of. Now, now, here's a thought for you in verse 15. A, a child is very impressionable. This culture knows that. And that's why they want the children as young as possible. That's why we have these early child care centers being built all across America. Because it's not enough now just to have the kids in kindergarten or to have them as they go into first grade. They, they want them when they're three, and they want them when they're three and a half, because that, that child's mind, that, that's the formative time. You get it in there when a child is little, and they can hold on to it, and that child will embrace it. Now, this is a principle God has been teaching for a long time. 
He says, make sure you put the word of God on the doorposts of your home. You talk about it, meditate on it all the time. And so we teach the little kids. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Children learn the songs like this is the day the Lord has made. If you get that kind of an anchor inside of a child, when the child gets older and let's say the child strays, when it's time for God to deal with them to come back to something, they've got something to come back to. But if you don't put anything in a kid, then what's there to come back to when they get in, in, in the trouble? Unless somebody can get there to witness to them. Paul said to Timothy, from a child you've known the scriptures. And he calls them holy. So don't let anybody cause you to believe that this book is not holy. Some people say, what makes the Bible different than the Koran? Jesus. What makes the Bible different than the Hindu holy books? Jesus. What makes the Bible different than the totem poles and the sacred texts of the Native American Indians? Jesus. What makes the Bible different than the Book of Mormon? Jesus. See? That's the key. Jesus is the key. And he says, he's talking about Paul, he calls these scriptures holy. Now, if you don't believe this book is inspired, I can promise you, there's very little in here that's going to inspire you. If you think this book is very much like you read the instruction manual for how to put together a vacuum machine, then you're not going to get anything out of this when you read this. But if you honestly believe this is the mind of God revealed to me in every generation, that this is God talking to me every time I open up this book, then God's going to have something to say to you. In verse 15 says, these scriptures will make you wise. That's the ability of God. I've never met anybody that wanted to be foolish. But the scripture tells us with all our getting to get some understanding. The wise man will increase his learning and attain to wise counsels. The scripture talks about wisdom being something more precious than rubies. Wisdom being something that's desirable. Like Solomon, if God were to come to you in a dream and say... I will grant you one request, anything you ask for, just one request. I think you ought to ask for wisdom. You say, well, why not ask for wealth? Well, if you have wisdom, you can gain the wealth. You say, why not ask for faith? If you have the wisdom, you can learn how to increase your faith. You say, why not ask for property? If you have wisdom, God can help you get the property. You say, why not love? If you have wisdom, you'll learn how to love. Wisdom is the principal thing. So with all of your getting, the Bible says, get some understanding. And since the scriptures are able to make you wise, why not read them? Every week we have Christians that have Bibles on their shelves and they don't take the time to read this at all. If the only time you open your Bible is at Bible study or during a Sunday service, I can tell you you're losing out with God. You should start your day with this book. You should conclude your day with this book. Sometimes when I go uh, visit people, there'll, there'll be five, six, seven days worth of newspapers scattered abroad. And they can tell you about what happened on page 12. They can tell you what happened on page 2. They can read the obituaries and see who passed away. But then when it comes to this book right here, we have very little time for it. Paul says all scripture... It's given by inspiration. 
Now, what is reproof? Because we know what doctrine is. That's teaching. But reproof has to do with admonishment. You do something wrong, Scripture says you did something wrong. And we need to hear that sometimes. For correction, if we're in error, we need the Scripture to correct our belief. Scripture has corrected my belief many a time. Yeah, as a believer, walking with the Lord. Studying Scripture has brought me from a teenager to now constantly learning how to navigate between what's true and what's false. There are things when I was 17 and 18 years of age I thought were biblical and true. Scripture helped me to see it wasn't necessarily biblical and true. And I've, I've, I've met people who say that they've never been wrong. Oh, my, you're already a liar. Just, you can't even figure that, that out, you know. But in the church that I grew up in, Church of God in Christ, it was, a, it was a holiness church, Pentecostal church, and they had this idea that if, if you really wanted to be godly, you, you had to be sanctified. Now, nobody ever told us that 1 Corinthians says Jesus is our sanctification. I, I didn't get that until I was about 19. But, but as, as a little, little guy in church, I heard that. So they have young people down there praying and praying and praying and praying to be sanctified. And, and that sanctification in the southern churches, holiness churches, Wesleyan churches, Nazarene churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, means that when, you, when you're sanctified, God eradicates that sin nature. So you're just a good person now. That sin nature is gone. But as I got older and I traveled and I listened and I watched, and I, I realized if you really want to know if somebody's sin nature is gone, ask their wife. Ask their husband, ask their kids, ask their parents. Then you find out that Romans 7 has nothing to do with somebody getting sanctified. Paul, Paul said there, there, there's a law in me at work inside of me that when I wanted to do good, evil was always present. What I wanted to do, I couldn't do, I didn't do, I was unable to do, didn't have power to do. But yet now he talks about God inside of him. So as a Christian then, God had to show me some things you outgrow and you've got to leave behind. And I'm sure it's the same thing with you. There have probably been things in your Christian life that you grew up learning and believing. And then the more you put your nose in the book, then you realize maybe that wasn't quite right. A couple of weeks ago, I was teaching on the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shouldn't have any other God. And maybe I've told you this, but I'll quickly go over it again to show you how God taught this to me. <clears throat> Growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, my grandma was a good Baptist lady. She had Bibles and stuff in the house. And, of course, all the Bibles in the house, Jesus had blonde hair, long flowing blonde hair, and he looked like he was from Sweden or Denmark. And that, that's all I saw on, on the walls of people's homes when I went, even the black families where I, where I was raised. I joined the Marine Corps, went to Okinawa, Japan, went to an all-night prayer meeting at a Korean church. Somewhere about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I sat up and looked, and up on the wall was a big picture of Jesus up there, a mural or something. And, and Jesus was standing in a rice field, and Jesus was wearing a kimono, and he had slanted eyes. I said, oh my, isn't that interesting? Well, came back to the States, was stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Went to preach at a church called Sandy Run, Missionary Baptist Church. I was the inspirational speaker that morning. I came out of the office, walked up into the pulpit. They had one of them big pulpits way up here so that the preacher's way up there looking down on all the commoners. You know, 
So I came out, walked up the staircase into the pulpit, and right to my right on the wall, there was a, a big picture about six feet tall, maybe four feet wide, and it was Jesus. And this Jesus was black, surrounded by black sheep, wearing a dashiki, had an afro, and had a pick in his hair with a fist. That's in a church. Five years or so later, I went to work with Wycliffe Bible translators in Peru. So I was in the mountains of Pomabamba with a Quechuan-speaking family. And this family, they were devout Catholic. And this, the way the house was built, it was built in a U-shape. So my bedroom was here, the, the, uh, the kitchen was here, and the, the, the husband and wife, their bedroom was up on the second floor. So I had to come down the hall, around this way through the living room, dining room, to get right into the kitchen. So one day I come out, I come around, I walk up, and there, right by the kitchen there's a shrine there. And the, the lady of the house, she did her prayers every morning. And so there was a, a, a beautiful picture on that wall. She did her prayers and it was Jesus and had one of those big sacred hearts like it was glowing. And this Jesus had on a poncho and a sombrero and a thin mustache. That trip there helped me to realize with all of the other things that I had seen that people want a God that looks just like them. See, and that solidified for me. Thou shalt have no other gods, and I should not be concerned about pictures and images. So as a Christian then, all of us have moments in our life where we grow in grace and in knowledge. Well, just one more thing, and then we'll shut her down so you don't get too nervous about the little bit of rain out there. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. It's not like you can leave anyhow. (laughs) Acts chapter 7. Okay, Acts chapter 7, verse number, verse number 23. And this, this is where we'll stop, and we may return to this at some other time. Acts chapter 7, notice verse 23, speaking of Moses. When he was a full 40 years of age, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now what I want you to pay attention to is how this occurred when he was 40 years of age. It didn't happen when he was 27 or 32, but when he was 40. Just like Jesus started his ministry when he was at least 30, not when he was 19 or 27. There's some things in your life that are activated by desires that God puts in your heart at a certain age or certain season of your life. So all of us in here right now are quite pleased with maybe what God's doing in our life and where we are. But chances are, when you were younger, God gave you desires that led you to make other decisions that led you down another road. And it's a possibility that your future could cause God to plant desires in your heart that take you in a different direction. For Moses, it took place when he was 40 years of age. Think about that, 40 years of age. <clears throat> the average life, and I say this all the time, the average life can be divided into three divisions. The first 27 years, and I, t- I was telling the kids this over the commencement and uh, Deschler, the first 27 years of your life, that, that's, that's that period of first times, first attempts. That's when you first learn the alphabet, first learn how to say mom, take your first step. That's the period of education. You first learn how to ride a bicycle, your first day of school. The first time you are able to 
parse a sentence and learn the grammar. You graduate, you end up in college, get married, go in the workforce, go in the military. That first 27 years of your life, you're being educated. Then comes the second period, 28 through about the mid-60s or so. It's during that period where you're really trying to establish yourself, acquire property, build your family, raise your children, instill values and ethics in them, pushing strollers through the community. And as you get to the end of that period, you see the fall season of life coming. So all of a sudden you find yourself thinking more and more about easing into a graceful period of retirement. And it's that last season where you've accumulated so much knowledge that now there should be something you can give back to the people coming behind you. See? And that, that basically is what happens. That third season of your life, most people, when they turn 75, they're not looking for another house note. 80-year-olds aren't praying that God give them a baby. See? Nobody's doing that. It's because the desires of your heart very often are affected by the seasons of your life, which in essence are created by God. So in this season of your life, what God is doing is wholly dependent upon God's calendar and God's plan. But the next season, God will change your desires, and your desires can change just like that overnight. I thought from the time I was 17 to... 23, I thought I was going to be single all of my life and just give myself to God. I mean, because being single was just wonderful. I didn't have to ask anybody about what I wanted to buy. I could do whatever I wanted, and I could say, God told me to do it, praise the Lord. But then I woke up one morning in Istanbul, Turkey, and realized I didn't have the Pauline gift. And I wanted to get married, and I wanted a wife yesterday. See, suddenly everything changed. And then I started praying, God, find me a wife. And I was crazy enough to believe God to give you the desires of your heart. So I had me a little list and I wrote down all the things I wanted my wife to be like. I carried that list in my wallet, showed it to a handful of friends. And then when I finally married that beautiful lady there, I let a few, I let her in on the secret. And some of my friends even told her about the list that I had. And I'm telling you, God, to honor your desires if you trust him. Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that we can look into the scriptures and learn your word, your will, your wisdom. There's a lot more we need to know about you. and We want to learn. And so, Father, in the coming days and weeks. We pray that you just unfold more and more of this so we can give more and more of ourselves to you. We honor you tonight, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.